0: How alive are you? How alive are you? That sounds like a good preacher question, don't it? I tell you, I thought for hours and hours to come up with that one. It, actually, I didn't. What I did was I went to the Internet to confirm something that, that I was going to mention this morning to make sure that I had it right because I don't trust my memory for much of anything. And that was a slogan for this company that I was looking for. Uh, the slogan is, "How alive?" Are you? Do you that, recognize that slogan, anybody? Do you know what company that would go to? How alive are you? Let's try this one. Danny, we've got a bad buzz up here in the monitors. Um, how about this one? It's good to be bad. Surely you know this one. I'm going to be very disappointed. You don't know that one? It's good to be bad? Jaguars? Do you know watch television? Oh my goodness. My whole sermon's gone. Let's go home. (laughs) Don't even think about that. Jaguar, to catch you up to speed, has a commercial about their new automobiles that has the British actors in it, all of the ones that played the Evil villains, and it talks about how Brits are the best villains. Uh, Loki from, uh, oh, yeah, Thor was was in it. Uh, his the guy that plays that character is in it, and that's their that's their uh, that's their tagline. It's good to be bad. It's good to be bad. And you know, for some of us, when you hear that in the context of that of that commercial. It sort of does a little something to you you know because they talk about power and control and stiff upper lip and attention to detail and you've got this i'm telling you that f-type car that man oh man and and when they crank it up it's got that deep and man you look at that thing and you think whoo man if i only had seven hundred and forty nine dollars a month i'd buy me one of those But that commercial does something to you, you know. It's it's good to be bad. Now, why am I talking about cars? Why am I talking about this car? Why am I talking about cars? Well, it has to do with archaeology. You see, archaeologists go around digging up things from the past. And when they dig through these ancient civilizations, the things that they've left behind, they look at their literature, they look at their music, they look at their trash to figure out what was important to a culture. And so let's suppose for just a minute let's suppose for just a minute that humanity makes it another 2000 years. And in 2000 years our civilization as it is is gone and there's one of these archaeologists have you watched the uh, watched documentaries where you get these college professor types that are out there digging, you know, and they they come up and they find this little piece of pottery about that big and they they brush it off and and, and they get all breathless. This came from the hooky-blooky period and and they use this for the Hickey lows and and all these things and boy, they're just, oh, well, what's going to make them do that for us? What are the things that they're going to find that's going to, oh, this is what was the... The center of these people's universe, this is what was important to them. These are the things that made that culture tick. Well, one of them's got to be automobiles. I mean, for us, one of them's got to be automobiles. Every third commercial on television is about a car. You can get that Jaguar, or as they used to call them, Jaguars. You get the Jaguar, you can get a, a new car that's about the size of a briefcase, you know. Gets 41 miles to the gallon, I guess because you can pick it up and carry it. It's so doggone small. <laughs> They've got all kinds of different automobiles. And you go down the street, you can buy them, you can lease them, you can rent them, you can borrow them. Cars, we have an obsession with cars. We have an obsession with sports. You do know who Dan Ugla is, Right? Okay, I'm batting 500, which is better than him. He was batting 162, I think. <laughs> he was fired. He was released. It's a fancy name for being fired from the Atlanta Braves, and no other team would pick him up. So he was released, and they paid him, or they will pay him, $18 million to be fired. If y'all will fire me for $9 million, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> done. $18 million because they paid him on his potential. We look at, we look at ball players, and, and we are at a point in our society where we feel like our kids have to play multiple sports. And, and I watched a thing the other day on television while I was getting ready on the news, and they've got street basketball leagues where they're going around the country, and the best street team has a chance to win $100,000. It's sports. We're in love with sports, but the third thing that we would that's at the center of our universe is the female form. I want you to think about that for a second. I don't have to give a whole lot of illustrations here. For every shirtless guy you see that's got the chest and the, and the abs he, he has six pats. I have a keg. Um, <laughs> all of these guys that are buff, for every one of those you see. You see a hundred women with a shape that the only thing they can possibly eat is grass because that shape is not a normal shape. And they're wearing this sensuous, provocative clothing. And all of these things, all of these things are designed to create a response in us. The same response, they appeal to that same raw desire. That that jaguar commercial appeals to an appetite to make you want it, to make you crave it, to make you have to have it, to make you dream about it, to make you lust about it, to make it the center of your universe. And what we want with that degree of passion is what the archaeologist in the fourth millennium will breathlessly and excitedly report as the objects of our worship. What we want with that degree of passion is what is really at the center of our universe. But we're going to talk about something this morning about what is truly at the center of our universe. Whether we want to accept it or not, whether we like it or not, whether it means anything to us or not, totally inconsequential. This is is what is at the center of our universe. It's found in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. I am taking, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm taking Sudafed, and I'm dry. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Okay, John is writing the book and he says, "'After these things I looked, "'and behold, a door standing open in heaven, "'and the first voice which I heard "'like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, "'Come up here and I will show you "'what must take place after these things. "'Immediately I was in the Spirit, "'and behold, a throne was standing in heaven.' And one sitting on the throne, and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the throne I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning, and sounds, and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion. And the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things. And because of thy will, they existed and were created. Now, let's level set here. Bless your heart, Barry. Thank you very much. Let's level set here just a little bit. Let's suppose that you've got the kind of income. Thank you. Let's suppose that you've got the type of income that would allow you to pay $749 a month for a Jaguar F-type automobile. I don't know anywhere in scripture that would prohibit you from owning that vehicle. If you were blessed with enough income to afford it, and you handle your finances, you handle your money in a godly, responsible manner you take care of your family, you contribute to the work of the church, you contribute to the work of the kingdom, you take care of the needy, you do the things that God would call you to do with those finances. You don't need to feel guilty about having money. There's nothing wrong with it. That's what God's blessed you with. There's nothing in the scripture that would stop you and your kids from playing sports. As long as you keep them in their place and understand that God is in his place and that you pursue those things with godly intent and godly purpose, there's nothing wrong with sports. And listen, there's nothing wrong with a female form. I married one of those female forms and I'm certain she would tell you that that was the best decision that I ever made in my entire life. I was going to say one of the best and I got to thinking, you know. You got to go home, dude. Everything in its place and God in his place. That's the way we're supposed to operate. Now what I want us to see here though is really what is at the center of our universe to bring some perspective into our world that gets pushed out by all the repetitive perpetual messages that are broadcast into our brain each and every day. These messages that make us hunger, make us thirst for things that are not Real girls, you can't look like those women on television. That's not normal and healthy. It's not real. We can't own those things that are, you know, if I got that F type coupe, I keep talking about it, beautiful automobile. But if I got it, you know, a week after I had it, you know what it'd be? Be a car, be a car. It'd be a car I'd be afraid to drive because somebody might steal it or I might run into something or as. I am so good at doing, collecting rocks on the windshield as I drive down 129. That's what, it's just a car. These things are not real. But if imagine now, if you will, imagine this scene from Revelation. You have John the Apostle exiled on the island of Patmos. And he's praying, which sounds like a good thing to be doing, if you're exiled away from everybody. And he's praying, and he has a vision of heaven. And he finds himself standing in the throne room of God. And he sees right in the middle of the throne room, right in the middle of everything, in the center of the universe, he sees the throne of God and one sitting on that throne. And John describes that picture as best as he can possibly describe it, but I have a feeling that it doesn't come close to what he really saw. I imagine if we asked John, "What you wrote in the book of John? What you wrote in the book of Revelation? How does it compare with what you saw?" and he'd say, "My words were so weak. My words were so feeble. Nothing can compare to that vision that I saw." But he did the absolute best that he could to describe it, and he just, he said that he could see God in terms of color, not in terms of features. You notice here he doesn't talk about hair, or eyes, or face, or mouth, or chin. He doesn't talk about those things. He said that he saw one as a jasper stone. Jasper stones come in a variety of color. He's talked about one as a sardius stone, or a conelia stone, as you read in some other translations. Same stone, it's brownish red in color. So if you close your eyes and imagine for a minute emanating from the throne of God, he couldn't even see the person sitting on the throne because emanating from the throne of God, constantly changing colors, bold colors, mixtures of red and brown and green, streaming, moving, undulating, gloriously clear colors, vivid, bright, and exciting. And while he's got all of these colors that are just blasting him in the face around the throne, is a halo, he describes it like a rainbow, and he says it's like an emerald, it's clear green light that's just emanating from the throne of God. So he sees coming at him all of this color, and he sees all around him this green halo around God, and surrounding the throne are 24 more thrones. And on those 24 thrones, one is for each of the 12 tribes of Israel and one throne for each of the 12 apostles. And seating on those thrones are 24 elders, and they're all wearing white, and they're all wearing a golden crown, or it's described as a golden bow. It's like a wreath around their head made out of solid gold sitting on their heads. And those gold wreaths, God himself has awarded to each one of these 24 elders personally and constantly— Constantly from those thrones, from the throne, the power of God explodes with flashes of light and sounds of thunder. It's an overwhelming scene of something much greater than anything we've ever experienced, something full of power, something that exudes ownership. Not just can make it happen power, but it's mine to make it happen power of ownership. In front of all of that are seven lamps. Each one of the lamps of fire represents the seven spirits of God. Some of you have studied the Bible enough to know that seven means something particular in the Bible. Seven days of creation. Anytime you see the word seven, that means that something happened with completeness. It's perfection. It's done. So we see seven spirits of God. That represents the perfect Holy Spirit of God burning in passion for his creation. And all around the throne is a floor that looks like a sea of glass. And in the air around the throne are four living creatures. Unlike anything I've seen in any movie, any description that I've ever heard ever in my life, there are four living creatures. And they hover with their six wings. And it says they have eyes that cover their body. And I don't know if it's eyes like eyeballs all over the place. Or if it's it's, it's something that looks like eyes all over their body. I don't know. But it says that they're covered with with eyes within and without. When they hold their wings out, there's eyes. When they close their wings, there's eyes. He says that he sees those, and they say 24-7, 365, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The center of their universe, the center of the universe, literally, their object of worship, they declare holy. Holy, we've talked about holy. Holy means separate. It means set apart. It means different from anything else. Different from anything else. They cry out constantly that God is different from anything else. That he's above anything else. That he's more powerful than anything else. That he's more brilliant than anything else. He's set apart. He's not common. In fact, you can't even use the word uncommon here. The word uncommon I'm sorry, y'all. The word uncommon sort of lives a connotation that there could be something like it. You know, that's sort of an uncommon suit that he's wearing over there. Yeah, it's uncommon. Seen one like it somewhere else. There's two of them in the world. Can't believe that two people bought that. That kind of thing. Uncommon. We can't use the word uncommon here because there is nothing else like God. He is wholly other, wholly different. Holy beyond description. And these four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to God continually. And then look at how the 24 elders react to that. Even though they were awarded, even though they were awarded these golden crowns of righteousness by God themselves, by God himself, they don't see themselves as worthy of any glory. Any worth, any glory, any honor that they have is a direct result of the intervention of the one who sits on that throne in their lives. He made their honor possible. He's the one who honored them. They recognize, they understand, they comprehend, they know that his grace is so infinitely much better than their grace that they take these golden wreaths from their head, the golden wreaths that God himself gave to them, and he throws, they cast their crowns before his, before his throne. All that these most honored people of all time have, they cast at God's feet. They give back to him what he's given to them because they don't feel worthy to wear that. And then they cry out, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things. And because of thy will they existed and were created. Now listen to what they said. Listen to what they said. They said, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Notice their choice of words. Notice that they didn't say, We praise you. They didn't say, We honor you. They didn't say that all power belongs to you. They couldn't say that. They realized, they acknowledged the fact That God is far above any blessing that they could give. They had nothing that they could give to God that would make God more than what he was. There is no arrogance in their place, in their hearts. There's no pride of place in their hearts. There's only reverent dignity wanting to say something to God that acknowledges before him that they realize who he is, and what he has done in their lives, that he is more than they have ever been, more than they ever will be, that he and he alone is God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever had a time where something happened in your life that was so good, and you knew was delivered by God, and when you went to say thank you to him, you were almost embarrassed to say it? That saying thank you sounded like the most lame thing you could possibly say? That you were on your knees before God and you wanted to say thank you, Lord, and yet because of what he had done and, and what had happened in your life, thank you didn't even begin to measure up. You wanted to say more than that? That's what these 24 elders are experiencing right at this moment. They want God to know you are the most incredible, awesome, unbelievable person in the entire universe and even those words are wimpy words you're beyond all of that how do we say that why did they feel that way what drove them to saying those things to taking the golden crowns off their head and casting before his feet what drove them to do that the scripture says for thou didst create all things And because of thy will, they existed and were created. He created all things. He created all things. That includes all that was in that throne room. Every creature, every person, every molecule that took up any space at all, he created in creation, from the farthest end of creation to the farthest end of creation, anything that exists, that takes up space, anything living or dead, animate or inanimate, all things were created by him. Nothing was made without his power. Nothing was made without his presence. Nothing was made without his consent. There is no other ruler. There is no other force. There is nothing that can subdue him. There is nothing that can overcome him. The Supreme Court can rule any way they want to rule. There is nothing that can overrule him. There is nothing that can overrule his decisions. There is nothing that can overrule his desires. What is, is because of him. There is no other reason. There is no other explanation. There is no other causality. You can stand and say what you want You can prove what you want to through any method you want to prove. And in the end of everything, God sits on the throne in the center of the universe, whether we like it or not. That's where He is, and He creates and sustains all things. That's our God. That's the picture He's painting for us right here. In the beginning, God created everything that was, that is, or ever will be. He continued, listen. I I chose these words on purpose. He continues to empower it and he will continue to empower it longer than we can imagine. The great philosopher Buzz Lightyear got it right. (laughs) To infinity, as far as we can imagine, and beyond. That is where our God lives. That is who our God is. And now that brings us to this. Being God, he did all of this knowing the outcome of all of it. Nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you ever will do will surprise him. You know, that's something that really ought to mean something to us when we think about it a little bit. When you're doing something that you know you're not supposed to do, (laughs) he's there. He knows. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. We can't surprise him. We can't really disappoint him because he knows what's going to happen next. When he created the earth, he knew how the earth was going to end up. He knows your heart. He knows your dreams. He knows your desires. He knows that when I watched that Jaguar commercial and I see those British actors and I hear that car and I hear them say, it's good to be bad, he knows that my heart races just a little bit. Even though I'm sitting there saying, I shouldn't feel this way. He knows that I do. He knows us. He knew Adam and Eve's heart. He knew Adam and Eve would disobey. He knew their disobedience would open a Pandora's box of pain and misery On all the people that followed. He was not surprised by what happened in Eden. And yet he chose to create us anyway. He chose to do it anyway. He chose to let the world suffer the indignity of sin. He chose, listen, if God is God and he empowers all things and nothing happens without his knowledge and his consent, then he he chose to let people get diseases and maladies and create ever more destructive weapons that we can blow airplanes out of the sky at 33,000 feet and kill 239 people just because it's Thursday, or whatever day it was. He chose to allow famine. He chose to allow genocide. He chose to allow every kind of oppression that we can imagine or not imagine. He chose to allow death and decay to enter into this perfect creation. He chose to create a world where his chosen people sit daily with a neighbor who hates them so much that they will lob missiles into their country to kill innocent men, women, and children who are innocent of any crime except for the crime of being born a Jew. He chose to create a world that many, many people will ask the question over and over again, if God is good, why does he allow these things to happen? If there is a God, why does he allow these things to happen? He chose to create and sustain that kind of world why did he do that why did he do that why didn't he just stop not let any of that happen why would he allow such atrocities to happen such senseless death such senseless destruction such hatred man against man woman against woman child against child Why would he not stop it before it started? I hesitate to say what the answer is in my mind because theologians have pondered this for centuries. But when I read the scripture, it just seemed to be so clear. In his infinite mind... He saw us, he saw us, he saw us, he loved what he saw. His heart was overcome with love, his heart was overcome with love for us just like our hearts are overcome when we first lay eyes on our child. It tickles me to see a couple having their first child. or or adopting their first child, getting the first child into their life. I love it. Because the first time you touch that child or the first time you see the sonogram for that child, your life changes. Boom! Just like that. You fall in love with that creature and there is nothing. I'm telling you, I could take on every last one of you if you tried to mess with one of my kids. And you feel the same way that I do. So much love. And yet, that little pittance of love that I have, the Father looked through history, through time, through all eternity and saw us. And he loved us more than that. And when we find out that our child is not perfect, instead of throwing that child away, instead of vowing to never have another child, What do we do? We end up loving that child more. We end up loving that child more than we could love anything else. And if we love with that depth of emotion, how much love the Father must have for us. Now where did I get such a crazy idea as this? Where does Randy Darnell hold himself up over thousands of years of theologians? And I'm not giving you all the ins and outs. They go into all the intricacies. But where do I get that? It's from a verse that I have quoted to you over and over and over again. And you're saying in your mind right now, oh Randy, not that one again. For God so loved the world, knowing what it was going to turn out to be, that it was going to cost him to give his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's where I get it from. He knew, he knows. Some will hear. Some will follow. Some will love. Some will be cleansed. Some will be made whole. Some will live with me in heaven forever. And those beautiful creations of his, those who in his eyes are perfect children, just like our children in our eyes are perfect children, those children who in his eyes are perfect children that he designed, that he created, those perfect children who were made perfect by his love will remain with him forever. I want you to think with me one more time real quick. Think with me one more time. If God had decided, you know what, this ain't going to turn out so good, so let's just not do that. If God had decided, if he had chosen to not create all that is, we would not exist. We would not be having this conversation this morning. We would have no awareness. We would not be and i don't know about you but i for one am happy and am grateful that regardless of the pain and suffering i have experienced in my life and regardless of any pain and suffering i may experience in my life until the day he calls me home I am grateful for the privilege of worshiping an almighty, benevolent God who in his mercy created me, sustains me, cleansed me from my sins, lives in my heart every day, will take me home to live with him one day in heaven forever. I'm grateful for that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Hallelujah and amen. Our Father, we thank you so much. Lord, our words are so feeble. Oh, I wonder, Lord, when John finished all of this, if he looked back at his works and said, I ought to tear this letter up, it just don't quite get to where it needs to go. And yet, Father, thank you so much that that letter was preserved somehow for us and that we get to see just a glimpse of what it looks like to see the holy God on the throne, to experience that image of power and majesty and glory. And to understand, Lord, that through it all and through everything you knew of how things were going to turn out, you still created us. Because you loved us. And you want us to live with you forever. And you were willing, Lord, to put that out there for us. Thank you so much, Father. I thank you for the ones in this house that you have saved for the ones that you are saving and for the ones who are yet to be saved I pray that you would speak to our hearts cause us to have faith cause us to know how much we are loved cause us to know that you want to live with us forever it's in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior that we pray Amen